Hebrews chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You may be seated. Father, we pray that you would give us sight this morning to see what we cannot see. Father, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear the truth of your word this morning, and that it would land not just on our minds, but settle upon our hearts. And lastly, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you give us the ability to do what we cannot do in our own strength, to bring a pleasing sacrifice to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, Christians believe in a radical, over-the-top pronouncement. We believe, by faith, in a God whom we cannot see. We believe this God whom we cannot see has every reason to be angry with us. For he pronounced that in the day that we would eat of the fruit that is in the, in the garden would be of the day that we would die. And we believe that in his anger and wrath, he will come and literally destroy us and cast us out. And we believe that he has every right to do so. But the good news pronounced and believed is that even though God has every right to do so and worse, that he has forgiven us in Jesus Christ God, at infinite cost, has been hospitable to us, his very enemies. He saw our sorry estate. We as strangers to God were in no position to ask him for anything good. He aware that we lacked any good thing to repay him and that we, without intervention, would not only be homeless, but you and I, we would be heartless and lifeless. And so Jesus, the host, he prepared a table for us in the presence of our very enemies so that you and I can say, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That hospitable God, whom through the gospel opened up a door, the doors of heaven to all who hunger and thirst, In dying for rebels, he provided the forgiveness for all who turn from the rebellion and turn to him. Friends, this Jesus that I'm speaking about, if this Jesus who is so tender and patient has not captured your heart, my friend, I worry that you will be like a homeless person who is out up at government camp here in the winter. I'm afraid that Apart from Jesus Christ, you will be like one who will succumb to the elements that death will overtake you. But Jesus, with a warm home and arms open wide with a hot bath and warm food on the table and clean sheets on the bed, he says, why would you turn and die? No, rather come in and get only what I can give you. Friends, this pronouncement that God, who is so gracious and hospitable to us, While we've turned away from him, his doors are open and he's saying, come in. 
Receive from me what you cannot get elsewhere. This pronouncement was foretold in the Old Testament. It has been clearly shouted from the rooftops in the New Testament. Our book that we're in this morning, the book of Hebrews, it opens by saying, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels, whom we will discuss later today, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Friends, this book of Hebrews, it declares Jesus is better than the angels. It declares to us this morning that Jesus is better than Moses. It declares to us that Jesus is better than the Old Testament priests as he comes with a better covenant. He comes with better sacrifice and a better kingdom. One that cannot be shaken. And so if you read through this book, there's a repeated warning. A warning that comes again and again that's spoken to you this morning. Don't walk away from this Jesus. Rather worship him. God saved his best for us and his best for us was his last and his best is himself that he has given to us to die in our stead. So here, chapter 13, if you back up just two verses into chapter 12, verse 28, he says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now up to this point, here throughout the book of Hebrews, we see this God who's provided everything we need, and yet we're given the warnings, don't turn from this God. And we're told he is a hospitable God who's opened up this unshakable kingdom to us. And then we're here this morning, you go do likewise, you do the same thing. Here's God, you in his image, you go do likewise. And so this morning we'll look at a loving hospitality to the Christian, a loving hospitality to the stranger, and then we're going to ask a loving hospitality for angels? And we'll take a look at that as well. First, a loving hospitality for the Christian. Look at verse 1 again here. It says, let brotherly love continue. It's so simple. Um, but notice it doesn't say this. You go love one another. It's not saying that. It, it is saying here the imperative is to continue in it. Uh, don't stop doing that. In a book that highlights the tendency for Christians, this, the, one of the warnings that comes is, you're going to drift away, you're going to drift away. Don't drift away. Keep your eyes on the cross and on the gospel and on Jesus, the better one. And in the midst of this temptation to turn away, He's saying, don't turn from love. Keep on loving. Uh, The first century Christians are a lot like you and I are. They had every temptation coming along to say, ah, I start off in love, but then slowly drift away towards self-pleasing action. There would be a temptation, a pressure amongst uh, persecution, amongst life trials to, to turn from being loving. 
And so the NLT, I think it gets it, uh, the, the gist of it fa- fairly well, where it says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. I love that. Uh, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. This gets the sense of it. And in the context of hospitality, uh, we need to understand that this is not a call on us to occasionally just have our friends over. Um, that can be hospitality, but I think it's more than that because biblical hospitality is more than mere entertainment. You see, in, in merely just entertaining your friends, you, you can find an unhealthy fulfillment. One where you can host people and really the end goal is for others to say how wonderful you are or how wonderful your home is or how wonderful your cooking is. As opposed to mere entertainment, biblical hospitality is an expression of costly gospel love to those who are your brothers and sisters. Some in our body are naturally more inclined towards hospitality, while others may be tempted to declare, you know, it's really not my spiritual gifting. And what is true, though, is that hospitality is no more a spiritual gift than love is a spiritual gift. Uh, And if love is commanded of all of Christians, well, here we see that loving hospitality is commanded for all Christians. In fact, it is a defining qualification for your leaders is that we would be Hospitable. In fact, the way First Timothy and Titus both put it is right up there with us not being drunkards or us being maritally faithful to our spouse. Right up there with all of this is that we're to be hospitable. And so you see the importance that God places on this idea of loving each other through opening our homes and our arms. Peter tells us as Christians, we need to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And reflecting on our, on the reasoning uh, to neglect it, I, I began to think in my own heart, I see that I can idolize my privacy so that I say, I, I don't want other people into my business. I don't want people coming into my business. I don't want you to, I want you to remain thinking that I have it all together. You see, if you come over to my house, you'll quickly come to the realization he does not have it all together. <laughs> I, I don't want you to see my messy house. I don't want you to see my children misbehaving. I don't want you walking away saying, man, I've had better cardboard. The meal that that guy made us was awful. I don't want that. And I I think then it leaves us with a me-centered vision of what hospitality is and why we can neglect it. But, but church, this is how the world may think about these things. But biblical Christianity thinks differently because it actually moves to put oneself out and expose and reveal. And yes, we do this at cost and we do this at risk. And so therefore, we invite our fellow brothers and sisters into our lives. It's how we tangibly love one another, isn't it? Consider Jesus again. He is so compelling. Keep a finger here. Flip with me over to Matthew 25 and see how Christ's words to us are sharp. In in Matthew 25 at verse 31, this is found on page 780 of the Pew Bibles. um, Read here with me and how Jesus unpacks this idea of caring through hospitality. At, at, At Matthew 25 verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him 
will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Isn't that sharp? Isn't that crisp? That as we do it to Jesus' brothers and sisters, we are doing it to him. We mirror our Savior in looking for the outcast and those in need and welcoming them in to care for them. And this is not just for our friends. This is for our church body, our brothers and our sisters whom we love. And for some, this may mean, let's just get practical with it. It may mean just having extra food on hand. It may mean budgeting for that food. Uh, To be looking for who we might invite over after church or message in the middle of the week and say, can we get together? This Christmas season, it definitely means checking with our fellow Christians here to see who may not have some place to gather. Our very heart should be one that says, no person here is left out. Love and hospitality is for our own tribe. Again, to quote the NLT, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. But here, I think this is where Christianity on several fronts departs from other world religions. Because we're not called just to love merely our own tribe. We're also to have a loving hospitality for the stranger. Did you catch that? Verse 2. Back in Hebrews 13, verse 2, he says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Well, in the first century, hotels were expensive, um, as they are today. Um, They were dangerous. They were risky. Uh, it would be a place where often people were accosted. Hotels were places where people ended up being abused, um, robbed, or worse. And so, if you were having to travel for business or some other reason, it would have been highly preferred if you could lodge with someone in their home where you would be properly cared for. And this clearly came with risk, didn't it? Even now, if you and I, we open up our homes to our neighbors or coworkers or others, there is a risk. People can take advantage of you. You could get sick. If they have kids, they could accidentally break something. On and on, we can find reasons why it might be preferred not to be hospitable to outsiders. There will always be a pull on us to remain hospitable to those whom we are very similar to or to those whom we deem safe and those who are simply just our friends. But again... Jesus, the hospitable Lord, has words that challenge and spur us to be like he is, where he he said also to a man who had invited him to a, a dinner banquet, he says to the man, look, when you give a dinner or a banquet, 
Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Tim Chester in his little book, A Meal with Jesus, he says, Here we are reminded of God's grace to us. We are spiritually poor with nothing to offer for our salvation. We are spiritually crippled, made powerless by sin. We are spiritually blind, unable to see the truth about Jesus. We are spiritually lame, unable to come to God on our own. So God, rather than having us grovel in some way, somehow climbing the stairway up to him, in the incarnation in which we are about to celebrate, he came down to us. The priest of the temple said uh, during Jesus' time that no one was allowed to enter into the temple if you were blind. No one was allowed to come up to the temple if you were crippled. No one was allowed to come in if you were lame. No. And yet that is the very people that Christ is saying, open your doors for, open your homes for, open your lives to them. Friends, Christ is opening up the table of grace for us. And we even then are opening up our homes and our tables to be a reflection. Yes, a pale reflection, but nonetheless, a reflection of his kingdom grace. Sadly, I think for us, opportunities are disappearing where this becomes more normal. Um, Opportunities for us to offer hospitality seem to become more challenging in our time. In an article titled, The Rise and Fall of the American Front Porch, um, Adrienne uh, Gaffney, she writes concerning the frustrating times we're living in, where the American porch, especially in the South for so many years, it functioned as a place where you would come out in the, the cool of the evening to kind of cool off. And as you're out there on your porch and you're maybe having a glass of lemonade or something, a neighbor walks by with their dog and you strike up a conversation and you get to know them. And, and she says, regrettably, starting with the invention of the automobile, it became less attractive to sit outside. The fumes, the noise, up until then, you could sit on a porch at night and chat with your neighbors. It was social. It was pleasant. But once the cars showed up, people began to, guild, build, began to build side porches instead of front porches. And she says, then, with air conditioning and television, the whole thing disappeared altogether. That marks the end of the porch. And therefore, having places where we will run into those who are strangers, who can we can invite into our homes and our lives becomes that much more challenging. So friends, we need to pray and we need to pounce on opportunities that God gives us to obey this command, to be hospitable to strangers. So everything that you are doing throughout your week and your day, saying, is there a connection, a relationship here that I can invite them, maybe not to my home right away, but out for a cup of coffee first and then maybe over to my home? But you're looking at places where you're running into them, at the post office, at the, at the gym, at, at the grocery store, at, at the places where you hang out and spend time. Is that at the golf course? Is it um, at the dance hall? Where, where is it that you spend time to run into these folks and say, hey, I haven't gotten to know you. Why don't you come over to my house and be hospitable to them? So following the flow, God has opened up an unshakable kingdom to us. And now we extend loving hospitality to our fellow Christians right here. And surprisingly, to strangers. But now a further surprise. Is it possible 
that we, while we are extending our homes to strangers, that we may somehow even have entertained an angel? Look at verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The answer? Yes, it is possible. Now, I'm sure there are folks here who think Thomas. You know that people think Christians are already crazy? People already think we're like way out there. I mean, for starters, I opened up with, we believe in a God whom we cannot see this moment. So now you're delving into something that just makes us seem all that much more out there. But friends, as I surveyed the New Testament, I found that there was 181 usages of angels or angel in the New Testament. Out of 260 chapters in the New Testament, 181 times angels are referenced. So just do the math. This is no light topic or it's not relegated to an obscure verse here. And that's it. Angels are all over. And I think there are two primary ways that you and I can respond to this. Some will push back and say, you got to be kidding me. Angels, I mean, that's the sort of things that make Christians seem gullible. It makes us seem superstitious, foolish, uneducated, unsophisticated. Well, in response, I want to remind our friends something. I want to remind you that belief in angels is still a majority view. Even if you exclude the minority religions, just take Christianity and Islam together and you crest over the 50% mark. So, It's still the more widely held belief. But second, historically, it has been the dominant view that angels exist. Um, If you you take all of time. And so the problem then is we could say, well, there is no spiritual realm in which we cannot see or do not have direct access to. But we have to, if we, if we come to this sort of conclusion, we have to pause and consider the implications. That is to say, only what I can actually physically touch, taste, handle, measure, those are the only things that actually truly exist and are real. But the problem with the naturalistic, materialistic mindset is that it falls woefully short of what you and I actually really experience. Love, for example. Having feelings for someone else, actually caring for them. If you have a sense that there is a real evil out there and a real true good. For example, if you believe that providing for your children is a good thing and you believe that human trafficking is an actual real evil that must be stopped. Friend, you're standing on the foundation of Christianity. You, you, you're, you're borrowing from the Christian worldview. Functionally, all humans live In a spiritual world, one that even angels, both good and bad, exist. And I'm not saying that all people believe this. I'm just saying we all live as if this spiritual world is a real thing. And the Bible tells you, if you sit on the foundations of this word, you have every good reason to understand why this is that we have love, feelings, a sense of good, right, and wrong. We can live and functionally as if there is not an angel or the spiritual realm. But I want to show you that actually living in that sort of a world means that the whole meaning of life can never be discovered as an outside thing revealed to you. In other words, if you start with the premise that says, I will only believe all this if I can somehow measure it and taste it and touch it, you're blocking the very method that God is using to break in and tell you that he exists. 
This was revealed to us by spiritual means. And so if you're saying, I will not accept any spiritual things that beyond what I can see, you're blocking the way God is speaking to you even this morning, friends. And, and further, we need to understand without the spiritual realm, without angels, without good and evil and these things that we are not able to put our fingers necessarily on, it means that there is no direct fulfilled meaning in life. And therefore, your identity must be up to you to create. Your whole reason for existing must be found with inside yourself rather than being told what our reality is. And if that's you, my friend, it leaves you in a place of confusion. It leaves many feeling stranded. It leaves us feeling hopeless. But Jesus wants to reveal to us the very reason for our existence and the spiritual reality that doesn't take us out of the physical, but actually gives us the reason that the physical world really exists. Christianity is the only world belief that not only gives us a reason to live, it gives us a goal and a prize that's worth living for, but as I opened up this morning, it gives us the resources that we need so that the best and brightest people, all the way down to those who have the very least, will have open, unhindered access into this home, this kingdom of God. Now, this is one way to approach angels. There is another way to approach angels, and I wonder if sometimes this has crept further into the church, which is to say, angels, aren't they just so cute and cuddly? So we get the cards, you know, with the, with the angels on the, car, on the cards, and aren't, aren't angels just these cute little cherubs, these cupids, you know? Uh, but biblically, <laughs> when a human comes in contact with an angel who is not in disguise, it's not all gumdrops and rainbows. It's terrifying. I'm thinking specifically of the angel that was seated on the, on the rock there after the um, empty tomb was discovered. And we read there from one of the gospels that says, Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like white lightning and his clothes white as snow. And fear of, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And so I just want to say the sentimental cards with the angels on them maybe are a bit misleading. For they can be frightening creatures. But it is the case that in Scripture, angels can also appear as humans to us. And we'll come back to this, but um, they could appear to us as humans and we may not know. Now, I'm not sure that the possibility of entertaining angels needs to only be in the context of a home here, as we're seeing in um, Hebrews 13. Um, I, I, it's not that they're walking out on roads and they only ever come into buildings if they're invited into a home. It, I, I imagine that there is a possibility that you could bump into one at the post office or over here at Thriftway. I, I think that that is a possibility that they, they come into other places. I, I, who knows? I don't know how these things all work. Uh, it, there's some mystery to this. It could be that an angel is here with us right now this morning and we don't know. Which, by the way... If you are here this morning and you are an angel, would you please let us know? <laughs> you don't have to say anything, just a wink and a nod, and we'll just be, it'll be so cool if we knew. We won't tell anyone. I, I have no way of proving it, but I suspect in the late 90s, I ran into an angel at a Dairy Queen in Central Oregon. Now, that's a whole other story. I'll tell you that another time. But I just 
there's things where you kind of go, ah, this is bizarre. But scripture highlights a deeper relationship between the seen and unseen world than we often give credit to. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, where we read about, hey, we, this battle that we're in, it's not just against flesh and blood. This battle of the Christian life is one in which we are facing, you know, the powers and principalities of the air. And angels are seen to be both good and bad and at work around us in ways that we may not even realize. I think there's also good reason here in Hebrews chapter 13. Perhaps you, you recall that this, this may be hearkening back to Genesis, back to a scene in Genesis 18. I'm not sure if you recall the scene with Abraham. Abraham was, um, he was hanging out on his front porch, and so he's got this tent behind him, his, his ramshackle shack, and he didn't really have much to offer, but he's out there, he's cooling himself in the middle of the day. Sarah's inside. And these three men come passing by, and Abraham doesn't know anything. All he knows is he sees strangers. He says, hey, men, come over here. I want to provide for you. I want to be hospitable to you. And, and so he, he says, Sarah, go, get, get some food, and, and he sends his servant off. Get the, get the fattened calf, and they, they, they cook up a feast for these men. And so they're hurrying up and kneading the dough and baking it all up. And they provide for these strangers. And it's a strange scene, but only later is it, revealed that it was the Lord with two angels with him whom Abraham was talking to. And, and the scene is brilliant because Abraham is providing hospitality and only later does he realize it was angels and he was completely unaware of this whole fact. And so I ponder, is the author of Hebrews thinking of a circumstance like Abraham's hospitality here, where we read, remember, or sorry, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I, I don't know that the, the emphasis for you and I, as we're trying to be hospitable to strangers, to people we run into in our life, I'm not sure that the emphasis is for us to keep trying to like find the next stranger in, in hopes that we hit the jackpot. Like, hey, sweet, I finally did it. I, I, I made contact with an angel. But I, I, I think here the emphasis is on the ignorance of us realizing who it is that we're ministering to. That in the midst of you being hospitable, think of all the things that come about that you may have no idea. I mean, what if you were hospitable to somebody and the Lord used that and then later they be- go on to become the next Charles Spurgeon? Or what if they go on later, become a, a missionary to, and lead many people to the Lord and nobody else even knows about it, but you'll know about it in heaven. What, what if your small kind act turns out to be one of many small kind acts that the Lord uses to bringing somebody who doesn't really know Christ and it brings them into a place where they now trust and believe in Jesus? Um, we don't, no. What, what if it turns out they are an angel? We, we don't know. God knows. But in line with what happened to Abraham and the stranger, strangers in Genesis 18, they ended up actually bringing a greater blessing to Abraham. And, and so, I, I don't want to push this too far, but is it possible that as you do this work of being hospitable to strangers, that they're also, the Lord's using them to bring encouragement to you? the very things that you needed to hear. 
Friends, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I do not want to throw the angels out with the bathwater. But I do want you to know that angels are not little cherub babies. And I do want you to know, well, you already know, if you've had a baby, they're not angels. (laughs) There's just no two ways about it. But let us land here, I think, where the author of Hebrews lands on all of this. Because he's reminded us of the glorious gospel that Jesus is better than everything else. And then finally he comes here in this passage giving us these kind of sundry things like letting love continue, being hospitable. And then if you've turned the page, or I don't know, maybe you don't need to turn your page, I do. But verse 8, just down this little section here, trace this out with me where he says, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. And and we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And I will pause right there. Friends, Jesus, he died outside the city, rejected so that we would join him in the city that is to come, a city that will never perish. This hospitable Jesus at great cost has prepared a place for you. Let us join him in like manner. There's a sacrificial love that we are to show to each other, a a hospitable, a hospitable love for the Christian. And there's also a hospitable love that we are to give to those who do not know Jesus, the stranger. And and it's a love and action that springs out of our God who has been so hospitable and welcomed us in. Church on the Mountain, hospitality is a gospel issue. God has welcomed and received us. And by extension, we welcome and receive one another, strangers, people who are yet Christians, and who knows, maybe angels. Would you pray with me? Father, we believe that you've opened your arms wide to us. Would you lead us to have a generosity that leaves this mountain community changed? I think our heart's desire is that this community would be different because we are here, that we would have true impact those who need the gospel the most. And that you would spur us on, we ask, to continue in love for one another, to open our doors and our homes to those who need it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.